The blueberry industry is like no other. Passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Our virtual conference and expo is just a few short weeks away. And if you've never attended the fall meetings before, this is going to be a great, great chance to join leaders from around the industry, right from the comfort of your home or your office or your home office. And that's happening September 28th through October 1st. Registration is free. We just encourage you to go over to blueberryevents.org and register today. Thanks to our sponsors, we're able to host a fantastic virtual experience. Well, I'm lucky to be joined today by Mark Hurst, who has been in the blueberry industry for many years. Mark and Patty started in 1980 with a three and a half acre farm of raspberries, loganberries, and boysenberries in Sheridan, Oregon, before planting his first blueberry in 1982. In 2000, the Hearst began expanding blueberry production into Mexico to lengthen their season of availability. Since then, their operation has continued to expand, becoming a leading fresh berry shipper worldwide from farms in Oregon, California, Chile, Canada, Washington, and Mexico. Mark, thank you for joining us on The Business of Blueberries. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to this. Yeah, it's uh, been a pleasure to get to know you, obviously, in the capacity of leadership that you've served in the organizations, the NABC and the USHBC. But I know a lot of people would say that a lot of paths lead back to Mark Hurst in conversations where, you know, you, you have been instrumental in helping kind of pave the way in how our industry operates today. And we're going to cover a lot of ground in our conversation from genetics to trade to how the industry has evolved. But before we do, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you know, how your business is operating today? Our business, HBF International, is a sales packing and marketing business with blueberries being our main item. We feature Oregon and California blueberries, but we also import from Chile, Mexico, and Peru to help fill the gap in the wintertime or in the off-season. HBF International is a partnership between myself and Doug Perkins. And we started it in the year 2010. My partner, Doug Perkins, lives in Fresno, California. So he's our California connection, though he is our CEO. So he's also my secession plan, <laughs> to put it that way. But he does travel back and forth to Oregon and California does quite a bit of traveling back and forth. It's been an interesting ride these last 10 years. Uh, industry has gone through some changes and we're just happy to still in business and still slugging it out here in the market. Okay, we have a lot more to cover here today, Mark, but before we do, we need to take a break for the crop report. This is a chance to hear what's happening in the industry directly from those in the field. This is always an important time and information shared on these calls and plenty of personality to go with it. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time now for the Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from those in the field. Today you'll hear from Jason Smith in British Columbia, Rex Schultz in Michigan, Doug Kramer in Oregon, and Luis Vegas in Peru. This was recorded on September 17, 2020. Jason Smith, British Columbia, Canada. 
things are definitely starting to wind down. Uh, most growers are through their second pick, uh, Elliot, or finishing up their second pick, Aurora. It's hard to say whether there will be more. I think some of the Aurora growers are anticipating another another harvest, but a lot of that will depend on Mother Nature. The smog is from all the wildfires that's been blowing in. It is it is starting to clear a little bit. Uh, we had a couple showers two nights ago, and uh, it's, it's starting to clear out a bit. I don't really have a sense of where we're going to end up uh, overall volume-wise at this point. Hey, hello, everyone. This is Rex in Michigan, and uh, weather's nice here, but we are actually experiencing some of that uh, cloud cover from the smoke out west. It's uh, just nothing really major, just makes it a little bit weird to walk outside. But other than that, the crop in Michigan and the southern counties, we are all done. Everything is pretty much wrapped up. few counties in the north, they are just doing cleanups in their field right now. We're at the end of it right now, and I would say by the end of the week, there probably won't even be a harvester in the field. And so this will probably be the last week there'll be anything to say in Michigan other than uh, we're looking forward to a good year. I think we're going to be down, talking with the growers, we're going to probably be down a little bit from last year, maybe about 10%. So we're still going to be a decent crop, but not a fantastic crop. And that's about all we have here in Michigan. I'm Doug Kramer from Oregon. 99% of the crop has been harvested. So there's only light volumes coming from some from very few uh, microclimate areas right now. And we're looking at wrapping this thing up probably in the next few weeks. Hey, hey Doug, how are the wildfires uh, in your neck of the woods? Are they anywhere near you or are you just getting some cloud cover from the smoke? Two of the counties that I farm in are the hardest hit with the fires, but I'd say they're anywhere from 10 miles away, maybe somewhere in that area from those two growing areas. The area I'm continuing to harvest, I don't think there's a fire within 60 miles of me here, but still blanketed in smoke. Hello, everybody. This is Luis with the report from Peru. So up until the end of week 37, which is the week that ends on uh, Sunday, September 13th, Peru has shipped into the U.S. 43.4 million pounds. Over the course of, of week 37, Peru has shipped 7.1 million pounds. That volume should be arriving uh, to the U.S. over the last days of September, first week of October. Up until this point of the season, Peru has, has shipped 90 million pounds worldwide. From that total, 48% has been shipped into the U.S., 34% has been shipped into Europe, 17% into Asia and 1% into other markets. So that's a report from Peru. Thanks again to our growers that show up even in harvest to provide this information each and every week. We record these crop reports right before this podcast is released to give you the most up-to-date information possible. Okay, once again, I'm with Mark Hurst. Mark, I just know that of a lot of people I've walked blueberry fields with, you know, you've had a lot of experience in just appreciating what has taken place to see the industry evolve as it has over the time you've been in the business. But maybe you can talk a little bit about 
your sense of the opportunity as you came in originally, and then you know contrast that to how you see it today, and and how has that vision been realized or been different than maybe you expected? So I have kind of a funny story. So I started shipping blueberries to California and other places in uh, 1984, and we were just going out doing our business. I think it was in '88 or '9, maybe it was 1990. I get this letter saying that I owe the Blueberry Commission some money. And I go, what? I never heard of this. So I'm going to go to one of the meetings just to see what it's about because I want to know if I'm going to put money in it. I want to know where my money is being spent. So I went to a meeting and realized it was a bunch of growers that were putting their money together to do promotion and to help market these blueberries. And so I really liked what I saw. So then I started attending meetings. And before you know it, they made me a blueberry commissioner in Oregon. Eventually, they made me a chairman of the Blueberry Commission in Oregon, and that's when I started going to North American Blueberry Council meetings. That was an eye-opening experience because you had growers from all over the country, all with kind of the same focus in mind. Everybody put their company hats on the table as they walked in the room, and we pretty much talked blueberries and weren't really talking about our companies. We were talking about blueberries and how we can make it a better thing and how we can make it sustainable for not only us, but for the generation to come. So a lot of the focus in those meetings were on promoting for fresh. We felt like that's where we would have the biggest impact on, you know, moving the pile. So that's kind of how we got started there. Well, it's an incredible start when you have that kind of collaboration Obviously, the idea that people put their hats down before they walk in the door and, you know, kind of that spirit of how do we grow this thing? You know, I guess I just ask you directly, I mean, has it worked? Have you felt the effects of that kind of collaboration continuing to be maintained, whether through the NABC and its relationship before the USHBC, but has that worked? Yeah, I mean, over the almost 40 years that I've been in the berry business, I always say when growers ask me, if they should plant blueberries, or if that's been a good thing, I always say, well, I've had way more good years than bad ones, because you're certainly not going to be every year good, right? I mean, there's going to be bumps along the way. That's just business. But no, this has been great. I mean, it's kind of been the impetus of keeping the industry going. And I think one of the biggest benefits of having this industry being all together is you know the guys from New Jersey, you know the guy from Michigan, you know the guy from Florida, and you can pick up the phone and talk to him if you see something that doesn't look right. I think that's a huge benefit, just having that ability and knowing all the players that are around. Now it's around the world, but around the country back then. As you saw, it sounds like collectively together, the need to get together and make this something that was fair and equitable and sustaining and and effective, you know, with the dollars that you could generate that volunteering those dollars wouldn't have otherwise. How has that changed over time now that we're almost a $11 million program doing things that probably couldn't have imagined at the time? And, you know, how has that transition realized expectations from your perspective? Well, it's grown way faster than I ever thought it would. And What's interesting is that the industry has changed a lot, like I was saying before. 
But this year was a different year, of course. And it was a very good year for most fresh shippers here in the Northwest. We didn't have near the issues that we've had in the past two or three years. I don't know if I can attribute that to NABC or USAPC or people wanting to eat healthier because of COVID-19. I can't really pin it on one thing or the other, but no, it's certainly been kind of the backbone of the growth of the industry is what this organization does. I shudder to think what we would be like if we didn't have it. Well, and talk to me a little bit about as this industry becomes more global, obviously our program in and of itself driving export activity around the world as well. But how do we maintain health as a growth pattern for blueberries going forward? You know, what's needed to continue to foster a healthy blueberry industry? So we still have issues with the blueberries that we're putting in front of the consumers. They're not always wonderful. And I think that's our next big issue is that we have to be consistent. So, for example, in the Northwest, we have a great variety called Duke that consumers just love and Draper. They just love it. But then when we get to the late season, we kind of struggle a little bit with some of our later varieties because they're not as sweet and they're not as firm and they're not crunchy. So I think the biggest challenge is going to be getting the genetics corrected so that we can have that crunchy, sweet berry in late in the year. That's from a Northwest perspective. And I think the same is the true for a lot of other areas too, even for some of our imports, because the flavor isn't always there coming from whether it's Mexico or Peru or Chile. So I really think, you know, one of your podcasts, you were talking with Tom Avanellis about delighting the customer every time. And I really believe in that. That's what we have to do in order to uh, see this industry stay on this growth pattern that we're on now. Yeah, it's interesting. You hear that conversation and yet most people just look at blueberries as being round and blue. There's just so much that's gone into, you know, what people are enjoying or tasting. And, and so maybe you can tell me just from your perspective, just how much has changed with genetics over your time in blueberries. And to the extent that you're getting that both direct feedback and certainly customer relationship feedback on what their consumers are saying about these berries, like what has been those changes in genetics that you've seen that you've liked or, you know, that still yet needs to be there? My first planting of blueberries was kind of a mix of varieties. And that was in 1982. None of those varieties are in the market anymore. So we've totally revamped our variety since then. We've probably done two to three different generations of varieties since the 80s. They used to be early blue and blue crop and blue etta and, you know, those varieties. And then Elliot came along because it helped us in the late season. And then now Elliot has gone its way out because it's not a, a sweet, firm berry that the consumers demand. So there's been a lot of changes in the genetics. It's a long, long road because it takes so long to develop a variety. I don't know. It's probably six to eight years to really develop a good one. And there's some that we've had that we thought were good and then they ended up not being so good. That's been our, our struggle here in the Northwest is we've had two or three varieties like that where we thought, oh, this is the one and we plant it. And then three or four years later, we realize that it doesn't hold up well against the heat or something like that. So then it falls out of favor and you end up having to take it out and replace it. So 
we're in a phase right now where we're really looking for a good late season variety, and there really hasn't been one out there yet that we really like. So it's been a lot of changes, but a lot of changes are needed to continue. Is there something specifically, I mean, is there a, a genetic milestone that you're looking for in terms of how genetics get to growers? I mean, I think there's a lot of effort put into this, but you know, from your perspective, what's that evolution that you need out of the genetics? Well, so we've been fortunate in the industry to have good public programs. We have good private companies that are providing new varieties out of their own programs. Of course, there's you know, the Driscolls of the world to have their own varieties too. But us as a small organization, we can't afford to have our own breeding program. We depend on nurseries and the university programs to develop varieties for us. I think that I'm pretty well keeping up with it, but we know what the consumers like. They like Duke and they like Draper. We just need that late in the season. That's what we're looking for. And uh, it's easier said than done, though. As you look ahead into the future, you know, what big challenges and opportunities do you see for blueberry growers? Probably our biggest challenge right now is our cost of labor and our availability of labor. And genetics can actually help us solve those issues as we improve our mechanical harvesting methods. The varieties have to develop along with that, and they have to be more suited for mechanical harvesting in order for us to compete with the imports that are coming in. And I think we're making some pretty good progress on both mechanical harvesting technology and also on developing varieties that can be picked that way. But we're also seeing issues not in just the harvesting of the fruit, but in the packing of the fruit. I would say that some of the biggest changes I've seen in the industry has been in the packing room. We used to put blueberries in a pulp basket with a cellophane wrap and held on with a rubber band and was all done by hand. Today, you know, we have these machines that fill 200 clamshells a minute. You know, it's pretty fast. And then we have sorting machines that take soft and green, and the fruit comes out the end looking really great. So that used to all be done by hand. It used to be all done in the field. even. So there's been a lot of changes in that area, and I do see that even improving in the future. What do we need to do, Mark? I mean, we've got opportunities ahead. and You've got some resources with the USHBC. You've got this, you know, I think a rather earnest audience of growers and retailers. But, you know, what's it going to take to experience that next blue wave? One of the books I read was called Atomic Habits. James Clear is the author. And his book talks about making little changes and having atomic-like results. You just make these little tiny changes and you keep working at it. And eventually, you'll have this huge result. And me personally, I've applied some of these principles to my life, and I've lost 75 pounds because of my diet and just putting these kind of principles into practice. And I just think, yeah, you can look at the big thing, but you really got to focus on the little tiny steps and not lose sight of just doing the little things that will eventually get us there. So. I don't know. I just think you have to do that. It's easy, I mean, to get discouraged and say, wow, this is a big hill to climb. Oh, this issue could tear our industry apart or so forth. I mean, I just think you just got to take one day at a time and one little thing at a time and 
put one foot in front of the other. And when you look at that kind of incremental effort, those steps that you're talking about, what does that look like for USHBC? Keep doing the things we're doing. And, you know, I think with your leadership, Casey, you're looking at a lot of new things that we haven't looked at before. And I think those are really important to look at. We just got to keep exploring and working on the health message, working on new research. Yeah, I just think we just got to keep doing those things. And we also have to maintain the unity of the industry. I think we've got to really make sure that's our focus is that we're unified as an industry. I really enjoy the fellowship of the people that come to the meetings, even though that sometimes they're competitors, they're still my friends. So I look forward to meeting face to face again sometime. That would be great. I know it's been a tough challenge and it comes up every time we talk that the next time we get together needs to be together. And yet we are hosting a virtual fall conference and expo. And because we're virtual, Mark, we've attracted almost 700 people across the industry to this event. So while we're not, it really has been a way where we could reach more people than we could have otherwise. But knowing that not everybody has registered, what would you encourage people to consider as they look at the opportunity ahead to participate at least virtually this fall? Well, it's a great opportunity to see what we're doing. And there's no excuse this time. You can't say, well, I don't have the money to travel or I don't have the time to travel or whatever. You don't have to travel. Everybody knows how to use Zoom now or, or Ring Central or whatever you're using. Yeah. So there's no excuses now, growers. You got to sign up and see what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I certainly have appreciated you and your leadership as a grower in this industry, obviously far before my time, helping kind of create the path that we're on today and casting the vision for the future like we did in March and we'll continue to do as we move forward here. But thank you for your time, Mark. Thank you for your commitment to the industry and your leadership and really appreciate the conversation today. Been my pleasure. And thank you, Casey, for all your hard work. I know you burned the candle at both ends and I really do appreciate that. It's a pleasure, and uh, we'll keep marshalling forward together. So thank you so much. Well, I sure appreciated the opportunity to sit down with Mark today. He is a wealth of insight and wisdom, somebody who's kind of gone through quite a bit of the years of experience in this business that, you know, I think reflect the importance of unity and, you know, what can be done when we work together collectively that we can see as evidence in this organization over the years. He described in the book that he's reading the small changes that take place that provide for atomic results. And, you know, I don't think he's quite given himself credit or maybe even the industry credit for what really has happened over the years in incremental efforts, incremental spend towards the dedication of the industry that we have uh, before us today. And, And I think there should be a lot of recognition and credit towards that. He also talked a lot about genetics and the importance of how genetics can really help continue to revolutionize what we're seeing in our industry, especially in the case of competitive interest where genetics can help with those labor challenges that we see in costs. I appreciated his insights and understanding of that. But It has been a lot of change over 20 years and a lot of people are part of that change that we're looking forward to celebrating as we move into the fall conference and expo that if you haven't registered, I just encourage you before I say goodbye to register by going to blueberryevents.org and participate in this celebration of the last 20 years of USHBC. We'll be honoring some people who are deserving of recognition for the work they've done incrementally over time for the success of the business of blueberries. Well, that's it for episode 14. If you found this 
podcast, this episode today, Insightful. I just ask that you share this with your friends or colleagues. Certainly welcome sharing it on social media to help us spread the word about the effort here with these podcasts to help improve the business of our industry, the business of blueberries. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the business of blueberries.